Hi, I'm Jaden Beard, and welcome back to the New Tech Podcast. I'm here with Brooklyn Hatch, David Escobedo, and Aaron Mesa. And today's episode is going to be about uh, the the Red Cross um, and their significance in El Paso. Okay, so we're going to be talking about how the Red Cross had helped in El Paso, what their place was here, their involvement in this city. There's going to be an interview with a Red Cross representative to really get that input and from a professional standpoint, how it affected them or if they know anything about that. They were going to break down the day in the life of a nurse here in El Paso as a Red Cross nurse and how it's changed. So from the past to present, and I think that'll be it. Excuse me. Welcome to the next segment of the New Tech Podcast. I'm editor Jaden Beard. And before we get into it, I just want to thank everyone so far for taking their time and making it here today to talk with us. This segment is about how the Red Cross came to be in El Paso and how they helped throughout the years. So, anyways, the Red Cross was started in 1911 due to the causes of the Mexican Revolution, and apparently during that time in Juarez, it was particularly dangerous, and a few uh, battles even took place there. Many people were injured and left to die in the streets, and so this man, by the name of Dr. C.M. Hendricks, whatever C.M. means, I don't know, as well as a group of El Pasoans, didn't think it was uh, very cool to just leave people in the streets to die. And so, of course, us, Juarez and El Paso being neighboring cities, and as well as how the Red Cross motto says, humanity in the midst of war, we felt the need to help them. And so then the Red Cross was formed, the Paso Red Cross. The Red Cross um, continued to help locally, uh, but it was especially important in World War II. Ads in the newspapers constantly asked for women's assistance, whether it was nursing, gardening, or just raising money for the world uh, war effort. Sorry, approximately 1,500 women in El Paso were involved in the Red Cross in some way, which is especially a lot for the time, as well, uh, well for the fact that El Paso was very small at the time, probably the size of Las Cruces. Um, anyways, nurses, like always, were desperately needed. Uh, they were, there wasn't a lot of nurses at the time. And to help counter that, during World War II, uh, trained nurses would actually train others. And I actually got this um, pretty interesting uh, transcript of a interview that would be uh, linked in the description. It's about an actual nurse that served in World War II. It's actually very interesting. I would definitely give it a listen. Uh, anyways, so they would train other nurses and they would send them off to war. But, of course, unfortunately, that meant sending all the nurses to war, including the ones we had here, leaving very few nurses in El Paso. But, um, you know, oh well. Although, uh, not all the women were nurses. Some actually faced the task of, uh, knitting and making red layettes. I didn't actually know what that is. And I had to look it up. It's some weird thing for babies. Anyways, they made them for refugees and their uh, little babies. 
Um, besides that, the Red Cross also provided them, uh, the refugees and the soldiers, with their most essential needs, such as tobacco. Hmm. Don't we love, uh, some, uh, some tobacco, right? And, uh, they also supplied them with books and paper. Many canteens were formed, uh, and they were set up at various high schools, such as Austin High School, which was actually the very first canteen, as well as Bowie and uh, other high schools, such as El Paso High. Uh, these canteens were formed mainly to just provide food, drink, and hospitality to soldiers in need. Uh, they also, the Red Cross also had this, like, kind of a unit or group of people they called the Grey Ladies. Uh, the Grey Ladies didn't necessarily have any uh, training in nursing or anything like that. Uh, they were just sent to hospitals such as William Beaumont to boost morale. And uh, like I said, they didn't have any nursing duties. Um, the Grey Ladies were mainly just there to talk to people, kind of comfort them, and uh, you know, just boost morale, like I said. So uh, they also served as guides to visitors, so if anyone came in, you'd talk to the great lady, I guess, and they'd show you around to, I don't know, your family member that's in a hospital, I don't know. Uh, anyways, in general, I just, they were just kind of nice people that didn't have much to give, but they uh, wanted to try their best to help. Uh, Alright. So, nowadays, the Red Cross has a whole lot less to worry about, well, kind of, besides all the tornadoes and hurricanes that have been destroying places, but, uh, anyways, whatever. Uh, they don't have any wars to worry about, fortunately, uh, and there also isn't any more dead people just lying in the streets, so, uh, anyways, since there isn't any of that, what do they do now? Well, uh... Despite the lack of dead people laying in the streets, they're actually still doing quite a bit to help the community and and everything. And they're actually still really busy. I've been trying to get an interview with them, with someone that works there, and we've been having a lot of complications, which uh, really sucks. But um, anyways, the Red Cross is a whole lot bigger now. They're actually, they've gone international. And uh, they provide aid to many third world countries, and... Uh, they're also the leading provider of safety courses such as CPR, as well as being the largest supplier of blood donations. So they're actually doing a lot of stuff to help, and of course the hurricane stuff at uh, Puerto Rico and Houston hasn't been helping, but you know they've been there to just help everyone out. Anyways, that about wraps it up, and thank you for listening to my annoying voice, and please stay tuned for the next segments. Uh, David Shire is the current executive director for the American Red Cross, El Paso, and Southern New Mexico chapter. He has a lot of experience and has done a ton of different leadership positions across the USA. In fact, in 2006, he was selected to serve on the American Red Cross Presidential Advisory Council, providing chapter insight and suggestions to the president and CEO of the American Red Cross. Every eight minutes, the American Red Cross responds to an emergency. They have done a lot for El Paso and a lot more for our community and in the past have saved many lives. When there is a crisis, not only will they help El Paso, but they will also help across the country. It's volunteer-based, and donations are much appreciated. Next, I believe, is David. Thank you for listening. Bye.
Okay, so I'm here to talk about the day in the life of a nurse or a Red Cross nurse, to be more specific. And the real difference with that is that a nurse is there to serve people in a civilization or the public, while a Red Cross nurse is there to serve those in times of a crisis. So hurricane, earthquake, tornado, anything happening here in the U.S. that counts as a crisis or anything even outside as long as it's in American territory or during a wartime that involves American citizens. And most of the time with their daily routine, it's about the same. They even have a little bit stricter, but I'd like to compare it to our science lab rules when we're going to do something like that because they can't have long flowing hair. They can't have dangling jewelry or anything like that. Just because they're going into a place that's riddled with diseases or anything that could be put onto them or contracted to that person. So when it comes down to hygiene, they need to be very on top of it. Then there's, what is, oh, so for their hair, they need to pull it back into a bun if it's too long. And it's kind of like the ROTC, they, they can't have loose hairs or any baby hairs, nothing like that. It needs to be hairsprayed down. So most of the time, yeah, the Red Cross is traveling a lot and going out for wartime or crisis or anything like that. So working in that place, and if we were to talk about working where there was war going on, it numbs the mind to th certain things you'll see. You're going to be seeing children, women, everyone from all ages, elderly, hurt in ways you could never imagine. And I mean, it's one thing to think about it or create that imagery in your head, but to actually see someone suffering in tears, hurt, it's very different. And for them, they need to be able to, they don't have time to think about it or hesitate or feel bad for that person. They need to be on top of it immediately. They need to think fast and be able to diagnose them. Um, it's kind of hard, though, especially because the doctors are the ones who diagnose them and do all these things. So for nurses, it can be very frustrating to kind of just sit there and wait or just have someone telling them what to do, even if they disagree. There is a little bit of an imbalance of power there. And most of the time it can be frustrating, but whatever gets that patient out of that bed and helps them feel better. So you'll see stuff like that in war where someone gets their leg blown off or a limb anywhere, a bullet. It's scarring to see those things, but it's more of the thought that you want to help that person. You want to get on top of that and you want to be able to just make them feel better about it. So medical treatments... It's about the same as a nurse, the rundown, diagnosing, constantly checking their levels or anything unusual with hydration, blood pressure, stuff like that. Because a patient is basically a pet. I mean, you're constantly needing to check on them and they constantly want to be checked on. 
So what that means is that, you know, the patient will constantly click that buzzer. Even if it's for a glass of water, I mean, it's their job and they need to be able to get there on time and help them. They have to sort of, you know, it's hard to maintain that, especially when you have multiple patients. But just like a waitress, I mean, you need to be able to get to everyone and make sure each one of them is satisfied. Because you can't, it's not like that though, because you can't just leave them alone for a little bit. They need that. I mean, it could be their lives at stake. And most of the time that's what it is, is that they're dealing with life and death all the time. But they're there to help those people and just try to make them feel better because when a patient dies, it's a very sad thing. It's almost as if you failed at your job. But... They're there to serve us every day in need of a crisis or something like that. They go home and they sleep and they have to be ready for the morning and be ready to help people again the next day. So I just wanted to kind of take a minute or a little bit to talk about Clara Barton, who was the founder of the American Red Cross. And she was started out her life as a school teacher but decided to go into caring for other people during the civil war she was known as the angel of the battlefield because she would run out there and just sort of deliver supplies or treatment to soldiers no matter the side she would just go out there and sort of treat them and that's kind of an amazing thing because what she was doing was treating people regardless of race or side or anything about that. I mean, she didn't really care. I think she was just very passionate about caring for those people. Um, yeah, she would just run out onto those battlefields and sort of deliver the medical supplies. And how she would get that stuff is with advertisements for donations and to sort of collect that and be able to start or spark the creation of the Red Cross. And she traveled with many army ambulances to distribute these supplies, nurse victims and give them comfort and even cook for them. So she was trying to do anything and everything to help these people. She also started search parties, going out there, help looking for missing people, you know, trying to bring them back to their families. And she would also do that, too. She would notify them of their status if they were missing in action, if they were killed in action. Any, if they were hurt, she would tell them their status and try to talk to them about it or explain it to them and what they can do or how they can cope with it. I mean, a very admirable woman, what she was doing. She wasn't forced to do any of this. She just went out there and decided to help these people. And I think that was the best part about it. Um, so she did start in the Civil War. That's how, sort of how she got into it, because she wanted to help people. But um, after that, she started to help disaster victims. She... I guess, found her true passion in caring for people and helping them in any way possible. Because you could say that 
her passion was being a nurse, but it wasn't being a nurse. I mean, the fact that she led these search parties, the fact that she would go notify families and talk to them about it, or help them as a nurse, or cook for them, it wasn't just being a nurse. I mean, that's part of being the Red Cross. Isn't, you're not just a nurse. You're a friend. You're basically a family member. You're someone there who can listen and help and you know, be there for them, talk to them, even just keep them company. Sometimes if it's a calm day, you can sit there and keep them company because it's a, in times of war, it's a very stressful and dangerous situation. But to have someone there to just sort of talk to you and be very calm, it's honorable, I think, that she didn't just go out there because someone told her to. She did it because she wanted to do it. I mean, that's the best part about it. So that kind of started the Red Cross and it became a bigger thing. The organization was established after that. Relief efforts will have to be brought outside the soil of the United States. And the best part about the Red Cross is that it was inclusive. They would treat people regardless of race, sex, anything of that sort, nationality, shape, size, whatever, you name it, they were there. And not just in treating them, but also nurses came in all shapes and colors. So they never really were a discriminatory type of, type of organization. I mean, they were there for everyone. That's what Clara Barton started. That's her legacy was to help anyone in need. Because they deserve it just as much as anyone else. And she served until 1904 and then established the National First Aid Association of America. Where she was honorary president for five years. And then she had died on the 12th of April, 1912. I mean, but she left this whole thing behind. And where the Red Cross is now because of her. I mean, she's the one who started it. This one woman who just wanted to help created this worldwide organization that still to this day will go out there and help people regardless of who they are. If they need help, they are there. And that's the best part about it. I mean, especially for Barton who was in the Civil War in times where Race was such a controvert, I mean, it still is, but an even worse issue, the fact that she did not care. <laughs> she didn't give a damn. I mean, she just went out there and did what she had to do. She was the angel of the battlefield for just caring so much and being there for people. I mean, what more could you ask from a person than to... She was already helping them. I mean, treating them. That's more than enough. But the fact that she did all these other amazing things, that is the perfect idealism of a leader, of someone who started this. And to have not only the perfect creator or leader, but to leave the best legacy she could have left behind. Because, I mean, even today when Hurricane Harvey happened or... Hurricane Maria, the Red Cross was there. I mean, that's what they're for, and it's great to see 
how far they've come, especially with, you know, the new stuff that we talked about. I mean, it's great. It really is such a great thing. I mean, it's a, I want to say it, but no. But, um, yeah, Clara Barton. I mean, who knew? I didn't know. I was very shocked because, you know, once I saw Civil War, I was thinking of a lot of times, you know, the creators aren't the best people. But I mean, she was she's someone you could look up to. She's someone you should follow in her footsteps. I mean, just the perfect. The. I mean, helping hand for someone. I don't know how to explain it. I mean. It's great what she did for those people, and that's what the Red Cross does now, is they put their own lives at the line to just help those in need, to go out there and make sure people can get home safely. And during that experience, when they're out there, they have a better time because they know that they have the Red Cross on their side. El Paso has evolved a lot since the beginning. What El Paso is now is way different than it was when it started. What once was a small border town, the size of Las Cruces, turned into a rather large city. So I'm here with Ms. Pancherger Hernandez, who's going to give us her opinion about how the city is now and how it's changed. So first of all, Ms. Hernandez, how do you think El Paso is right now, in your opinion? I think it's um, really great. It's a really great environment. I've lived here for nine years now, and I've really grown to love the city. And how do you think has it changed over the period of time? Well, I remember when I first moved here that it was a really small city, and there wasn't like really anything that the city had to offer. But I think now it's really grown, and it's still growing, and it will have so many more things to offer as kids grow up. And it's just a really safe environment for kids to learn and grow. Well, thank you for your time, Ms. Fernandez. You're welcome. El Paso is as good as it's ever going to get for us today because it is a small town. There's not a lot to go on, but that's okay because El Paso is like any other city. There are rarely problems, but we have learned to get by them. But if I'm being honest with myself, I feel like those rarest of times have happened more recently. Although this may sound really off topic, I'm kind of not happy about the situations that have happened in this city. Not from a great distance like the east side, or wherever, but from our very own district. New laws have been set in place in order to prevent bad things from happening in our very midst, but many people choose to bypass them in order to spread fear into us, the type of fear that parents have whenever their child is in school, and when an incident happens in that school, parents feel like they have no choice but to get their child out of suspected harm's way and keep them safer at home. But anyways, back to the main topic. The Red Cross has done so much for the veterans from before our time, and it has given them a chance to live. I feel like El Paso is the number one city where it comes to volunteering, even though it is just a little tiny speck on a microscopic chart of other cities in other states, where they are actually deemed as popular volunteering cities. Although the main Red Cross was founded in Washington, D.C., it has spread it a lot, and it still helps people out by providing blood for all sorts of medical purposes, such as transfusions and more. 
Thanks to Brooke, David, and Aaron for being here. And thanks to you guys for listening. This was a New Tech Podcast, and we'll see you in the next one where we talk about the importance of spaying and neutering your pets. Love you. Bye. Amen.